Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, and listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improviser from New York, and I'm very excited to uh, talk to our guest today. He is a filmmaker, horror aficionado. Uh, he's done work on The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Matt Weir is on the show today. Hello, Matt. How's everything going? Hey, what's up, Rick? Thanks for having me on, man. My pleasure, my pleasure. I've seen you posting stuff <laughs> uh, on social media and, and in within the improv circle that I hang in. And I always think to myself, there's someone, uh, or to put it in my father's terms, which works better than English for me, somos <laughs> simpaticos. <laughs> so you're someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a while and you're a busy guy but thanks for sitting down with me yeah man no so problem. uh where's your love of horror begin uh very 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 early um my parents are both like drive-in movie like aficionados um literally last weekend i went home to celebrate father's day with my dad and we my mom and i bought him the uh toxic avenger box set Cool. And we sat down as a family and watched that. So that's kind of where my my family comes into play. But cool. my parents, where, yeah. where's home from? Oh, where? uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Central uh-huh. Pennsylvania. Cool. So, yeah. Anywhere near the Mahoney Drive-in? Yes, very close. Like maybe an hour. It's an hour west, but it's the perfect meeting place between New York City and home for me and my parents. So we've met in Mahoney a few times. Nice. Yeah. You a huge hunting fan? Uh, I wouldn't say huge. I've only been twice for Camp Blood. Okay. Um, nice. Never went to a drive-in prior to the pandemic. Okay. But in looking for safe ways to have fun at the start, uh, or or when things started to calm down and we kind of got the hang of outdoor entertainment drive-ins became a part of it and i'm like oh i like this i like theming and pairing movies together and uh you know there's no audience like a a horror audience they're 100 right (laughs) like because even if a movie is not great (laughs) if the people watching it love it it makes it better i don't believe i would like grizzly as much if I watched it at home. <laughs> right. And I, there, there's like that communal feel to horror. And that's why I always like it. Cause it, I, I mean, when you ask like, where does this start? It all comes from watching movies with my parents and my brother, or the big one was my grandfather. Um, every Friday, my brother, my parents worked a lot. My dad was like a truck driver off and on. And then a paper salesman. My mom was a hairdresser and she was like kind of the IT teacher type. Um, so they were always working and my grandfather would pick me and my brother up from our babysitter. We'd go to Blockbuster or movie merchants, or there was a weird pharmacy where I think I rented swamp thing every week, but, um, yeah, we would rent movies and it was kind of like this dare of like, can we stay up late and can we like, you know, not be scared by Jason or whatever. And we'd watch that with my grandfather. And, uh, that was just kind of where that was born. It was horror and comedy. Um, uh, and you know, like that's kind of it, you know, watching the 80s VHS movies, early 90s stuff. I mean, that was what born this <laughs> horror and comedy, they they go together, they're involuntary responses, both of them, they're chocolate and peanut butter, they're uh chicken and hot sauce. It it it, it mixes perfectly, in my opinion. Um so as you've grown up after that that generational bonding, which is very sweet in a way for something that a lot of people kind of look down their nose upon. I, I like this the sweet aspects, the communal aspect of horror. Um, so how, as you grew up, uh, how did it change or grow in your life? <laughs> um, well, definitely like... <sighs> I guess growing up, it was like, you know, I, I loved horror. There was that connection I felt with my family through watching movies. And then, you know, at a certain point, I remember like my brother and I, we we, we wanted to make like movies and we, 
we were skateboarding. So it was like, oh, we ended up getting an eight millimeter camera. So we filmed ourselves doing that. And then we started making little movies. And um, at one point it was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Even though like where I grew up, like none of that happened. Like, you know, like the, I ended up going to school to be a teacher because that was all I kind of really saw around me. It was like, oh, these people are teachers. I guess I could do that. But uh, quickly like got away from that. And, uh, you know, I still had that film itch. And it took uh, it took a lot of like digging in Philadelphia to find like people um, that were in the same mindset and just figuring out how to get into it. And I'm sure, as you know, if you're in you're in the business too, like it is, you kind of got to find a way in, mm-hmm. especially when you have no contacts and your parents like you know do what they do. You know, um, I, I I ended up a set dresser mostly by accident. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I'm very grateful for it because the stories are much better than working an office job. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> so speaking of uh, getting into the behind the scenes uh, aspect of uh, film, television, uh, production, you've had a lot more luck working on horror things than I have. Uh, the closest I've come uh, I was working on uh, one, a medical drama called New Amsterdam. And I think okay, it's the last day of production. And you know, we're on set and I hear on the walkie-talkie, somebody go get the fake blood out of the prop shop. And I just run like, I'll get it! Because <laughs> it's, it, it's the call I've been waiting for. And I yeah. fly into set and, and the prop mistress is like, okay, bloody up these gauze pads i gotta go handle something else and she turns to walk away and i say wait a second light medium or heavy and she says <laughs> medium light and i'm glad i asked because i need that clarification as a horror fan i would have sprayed the fucking ceiling and that's it yeah oh yeah oh trust me i uh I, I work on a lot of true crime shows just you know it's what we do we hustle try to make money try to survive in the city but um they for the longest time i was the blood guy and they'd be like all right we need to blood the scene up and a lot of times i'd get the crime photos and i try to just recreate that and early on there was a director who just like she's like a cold case director but she just screamed at me she's like there's too much blood what are you doing and i'm like i copied the picture exactly what it was and she hated that i put i made so much blood or you know dumped so much blood and it's like you know on sheets so you gotta clean it off and re you know reset it but uh that's what led me to make rubber blood mats so I can just throw them on the ground. They look like blood pools. I got one somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this one's kind of messed up. That 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 comes in handy. Like, all right, yeah. here you go. And I'm yeah. guessing it's part of a larger piece and you can cut it as needed. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I pour. I actually went home last weekend and poured a bunch to my parents' garage. It's just, it's like, a, it's a urethane resin. You mix it, you make it look like blood or blood color. You pour it, you let it sit. And then you got a blood pool that you can pick up off the ground. Or throw at your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, dear listener, this is the kind of weirdo shit that happens uh, oh, yeah. behind the camera in oh, between yeah. the takes of the many, many long hours uh, for you to watch the things that entertain you. Yeah. So uh, for all of the guilds that are going to, or that are currently on strike or going to strike, you deserve every penny <laughs> yeah it's it's like for me i feel like it's a 24 7 gig because i mean i have this weekend i'm doing three special effects jobs and i woke up this morning in a panic of like i got to figure out how to connect this hose to this because i have to make a uh it's a uh legally i can't tell you what it's for but that's uh, okay i i understand <laughs> an mba and you can't reveal everything so yeah don't yeah. get yourself in trouble but it's like this I, isn't coming out immediately right I, I say that and then it's like but i'm making a shower that sprays cheese on a woman okay. so yeah it's just rigging a shower head to sprinkle shredded cheese on a woman so she can shower in it but it's like those are the things that keep me up at night so I feel lucky that that's a thing. I have other things that are more, you know, human and harder, but at least for now, that's the thing that, uh, you know, it doesn't feel too bad to wake up in a panic for that, you know? Well, as someone who has never heard of a cheese shower before, that's <laughs> how I feel you stay on top, Matt. If you're number one in a field of one, nobody can knock you down. 
Right. <laughs> and that's the thing, like the lady who called me for this, um, she was an art director. I, I I was a production designer in a movie a few years ago and she was my art director. And she knew she's like, Oh, you do all you can do all this weird stuff. And I'm like, Yeah, I just I like problem solving. I like thinking this stuff through and think about how to do it, but then also what are the problems that are gonna occur on set most likely, how to get ahead of those. And uh I guess for a few years now she's been calling me to do uh anything from puppeting skeletons to have them talk and drink lemonade to uh the shower thing now. So I get pretty lucky with that, but it's it's since grown and it's all the best part is I've been doing production almost 20 years and I started um I I really wanted to be a, a DP and this is when film was still being used and I had all these DPs tell me like you need to go to NYU and learn film stocks. And I was like, I don't have money to go to school for this. And, <laughs> Can't uh, I just watch you? Yeah, right. Can I just like assist you and learn? And um, that kind of, you know, I took the bumps for a long time. And then luckily met a DP that uh, he kind of took me under his wing for 15 years. And he taught me, I mean, we were like a two-man production crew. We, we were gorilla filming everything. I was learning cameras lights audio like this guy was my film school that i never went to and um luckily like we're still very close um we actually were working on a documentary right now which is a whole other thing but uh you know i, I felt lucky can you say what the documentary is about yeah yeah it's um it's about electric cars and well that's pretty generic but there's a we met a family in florida in crystal river florida um the the patriarch of the family has been converting classic cars to electric since 1995 and so he spent a while traveling the country and just going to this guy who wanted his you know jaguar you know converted electric and then he you know just crisscrossed the country his wife finally got him set up in a a garage down in crystal river maybe 10 years ago and uh he's he's an older man but he's very smart and i i mean I see such a such a crossover from what we do and film and figuring out the things we need to figure out to bring to life that don't exist. And I see what we do is the same mindset him and his mechanics at his garage have. And it's so inspiring. But uh I that's down, a story I'd want to learn about. Right. And that's that's the thing. Like as um as we're shooting and we go down because you know it's a long process to gut these cars and build the batteries. And I'm learning everything from the ground up. And it's like it's super impressive um they i don't know it's like they're doing this great thing for the world but also it's just this family and they're so loving and they want to share the wealth of knowledge they have and that's exactly just to jump a little bit that's exactly the feeling i got when i jumped into the art special effects world is everybody wants to share the secrets because every artist is going to have their own thumbprint on whatever the secret mm -hmm. is anyway and that, um, that was cool yeah like watching tom savini's documentary about how he likened his effects to magic i guess the difference is uh especially like pre pen and teller nobody would tell how their tricks were done uh but with tom savini he's like i can't wait to tell you how i figured out this fucking thing um yeah. so when you were a kid watching movies with your family did you have the eye to try to figure out how do they do this effect or uh, were you reading stuff in like Fangoria, like the, the effect articles, like far more uh, focused than I would, where I'm like, okay, this is kind of interesting, but you know, I don't necessarily have the head for that specifically. Yeah, I think, I think when I was a kid, I mean, I was like super just, I don't know, like I was that kid, it was like, all right, I'm going to like figure out how to build a, a potato gun out of like aluminum siding and a Pepsi can, you know, like I grew up with some kids like that where we were just like, all right, what's the, what's like the trouble we can almost get into by building something. And I always felt like I was the less destructive one, but the one that was like, Oh, figure out this like weird thing. And I, I don't know if it necessarily came from movies. I think from movies for me, it was like, it was just caught in the worlds that they created. And, uh, I didn't really, I don't think I put too much thought into the behind the scenes of it until like I started making those little movies and it's like, oh, this is a pain in the ass. Oh, they get a hundred people to like 
you know, make a fake sun and raise it to the skies to at night to, you know, whatever it, it's the magic of it was all, you know, trying to demystify it as a kid. And then as an adult, it's like, okay, yeah, I get what we're doing now. Like, how do we, like you said, how do we make the magic trick work in front of a camera or as Savini would say, do you have any favorite, uh, effects or kill scenes from childhood where you're like, okay, that that's, that's the bar that you set for yourself to hit. Um, yes, there's a few. Um, one, I, uh, one, one of my favorite effects I got to recreate for Joe Bob. It hasn't aired yet, so I won't ruin it. Okay. Yep. yep you will see yeah. it. Um, it was, I, I can tell you about the process of it. It was, it's, it's a Savini effect. And I was told we are going to recreate this. We have no money. And then as we're recreating it, we realized watching it over and over and over and learning about it, it's like, oh, we're actually doing more than he did for this effect. And with less money, less time. And uh, I'll let the effect speak for itself, hopefully when it's cut and put out. All right. I'm, I'm going to guess what it is after I uh, press stop. On, okay. On yeah. The, we'll talk. Just, I do want to, I'll let you know about it. I'll just just remind me. But yeah, I, I, I understand you can't talk about things before yeah. they air but that's, yeah. that's and what, what's what's so crazy about this specific effect too is as a kid i had a trading card with this effect like for whatever reason this movie had trading cards and uh i specifically remember having the card with this effect as it's starting and there's like a rip happening and it scared the shit out of me as a kid just having that card in my hand so it's like it's pretty funny like 40 years later or 30 some years later it's like oh okay like now we're doing that i hope and that's the thing it it pushed me where it was like even though we didn't have the money even though we really don't have the time it's like i want this to be great because i love this movie i want to honor the people that made the movie and show them that it means something to me but also for the fans of the show you know we we try to do the best we can with the money we have so all right, now I think my guess is incorrect, but I'll I'll, I'll still mention because I don't the movie I'm thinking of, which I'm not 100 sure of the title anymore, but I know the effect that I'm thinking of. Uh, I can't see it having trading cards, but you've mentioned the last one, <laughs> uh, which who isn't a big fan, and why don't they have more money? Because yeah. uh, Shutter and AMC Plus. Uh, I think I just answered my question and speaking out loud with uh, <laughs> the way streamers don't like to part with their funds. Um, yeah. That's a big part. That shows a big part of those platforms. Uh, yeah. And I'm certain have created significant growth for both of their platforms. But um, I came to Joe Bob late in life. My beautiful lady was a fan. She grew up watching him on cable and i was like uh, who who is this person really I, I thought you were like a guy I, I was like that guy definitely knows joe bob from back in the day but. no i i <laughs> did not have cable until i was old enough to pay for it oh, myself right. <laughs> you know hood, live, growing up in the hood in queens you know like if, okay. <laughs> if maybe like two or three families had cable and uh if they did it was illegal anyway <laughs> <laughs> so i think we went to a uh an Evil Dead screening, a uh, double feature at the Alamo Draft House, hosted by Joe Bob, and I'm like, oh, it's the guy from Casino. <laughs> and That's then, so and then it relaunched on Shutter, and I'm like, oh, oh, now instantly I get it, because you all look like you're having fun. Yeah, he's knowledgeable as fuck. Darcy's knowledgeable as fuck, and everybody seems to have a good time and there's a chemistry there that comes across that that reflects the communal nature that we've been speaking of so how did you get involved with that and <laughs> is the production like i imagine it to be <laughs> um all right yeah well to answer your question um well when i was a kid i loved joe bob monster vision well monster vision up all night were like two things that very much made me who I am. And I, I think it's important to bring things like that back or in, like we need to make more people like us is what I'm saying. But um, uh, as far as getting into that show, um, I, so I, I made a movie in 2015 with a buddy. We made it for no money. 
and we Lloyd Kaufman saw it from trauma. He brought us in. Um, essentially, he bought the movie. Uh, it's a whole thing. But uh, he bought us in, and then we we did some work on his last movie, Shakespeare Shitstorm. And during that <laughs> that's time... That's a Lloyd Kaufman title. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was a crazy movie. I mean, dude, that guy... I've worked, Yeah, I've worked for him, and I've worked for other people like him, and uh, the, the other being Vince McMahon, and they're kind of like the same guy, except on different ends of this spectrum, where one is like... <sighs> I can get into that later. I'll get. I'll answer your question. First. Oh, we will. We will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, getting getting the Joe Bob. Um, I had just left a writing job working for Vince, and uh, I was trying to figure out what to do after that because you know writing jobs are very hard to get and they take time, and I just needed to make money. And I kind of went back into production, not knowing what I wanted to do again. I had jumped from camera to gripping. I did everything, and. I had done art my whole life, but I never did art in production. And one job I reluctantly took up, uh, the art guy needed help. And so I helped him and he's like, oh, you're good. You know what you're doing. I also have carpentry skills just from making ends meet for living in the city. And so that helped with a lot of building. And um, anyway, sorry, this is a long story, but. Uh, if right anyone now. that's listened to the show knows that I will go <laughs> off on long tangents. Don't apologize. Yeah, thank you. This is hard because it's like, oh, there's so much. But uh, so I got out of the writing job. I was looking for something in production. Um, some people at Troma decided they were going to bring back Joe Bob for 48 hour special for Shutter. And I was such a huge fan that I was like, hey, I'll, I'll do whatever you guys need on the show. Like, I love Joe Bob. I just want to like work on the show and make it come back to life. So they were like, yeah, sure, come along. And uh, there was like maybe five people in the crew, very small studio in Newark. It's where they shoot Ink Masters. They did the 48-hour festival, or sorry, not festival, the 48-hour, uh, I guess, special. It was the two-day straight thing on Shutter. I remember him saying during that special that he's like, he didn't think anybody was going to watch it. Nobody would remember him, all that. And for me, I was like, no, I like, I love this. I'm excited. I don't care. I'm watching it. I got all of these friends that never heard of him together. I was like, we got to watch this guy. As soon as the show started, it it wouldn't work. It crashed. Shutter's network crashed because so many people tuned in. And that was awesome. So that was great. And then it turned out he's going to get a new show. But the new show was going to be shooting somewhere else, not in the Northeast. So they they were gone for a few seasons. And then when they came back here... um. The whole weird story is that he did the the drive the jamboree at Mahoning. Mm -hmm. I was working on a movie in upstate New York. My girlfriend and a bunch of my friends who I got in the Joe Bob were like, "We're gonna go to the jamboree, but it feels weird without you because you got us into this guy." And so I was super bummed out because I couldn't be with my friends watching Joe Bob hanging out in Mahoning, uh, which is like I you know it's uh, it's my mecca I guess, but uh, it was like they were there. I was bummed out working on this movie upstate. Maybe two weeks later, I get off the movie and my buddy who happens to own the Buffalo Bill house from Silence of the Lambs ran Ooh. into the producer, um, told him how we, we built the house up. My buddy basically made it a bed and breakfast. Um, okay, I, I got to interrupt yeah. you there. Where, yeah, yes. where is this house? Here. Sorry, go ahead. Where is this house? Uh, the, the Buffalo Bill house is in Parsippany, Pennsylvania. It's maybe a half hour south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um it's very tucked into like one of the creepiest places I've ever been, but it's also beautiful. It's uh, it's very relaxing. The house is creepy as fuck, um, especially when you drive up to it for the first time at five in the morning after a six hour car ride and it has been painted or, you know, like we did all that. We renovated it. So to see it decrepit, also knowing that it's this fictional killer's house was mm -hmm. pretty creepy. Now, can I can I book a room in the basement and dance naked? Yes, we okay, built cool. a we built a workshop, and then uh, my buddy teamed with Savini School, and they they built the well. So uh, I got to hang out, dude. I can't. I mean, as a horror fan, in one week to hang out with Tom Savini on the front porch of Buffalo Bill's house, and also Doug Bradley in the same week is like beyond. Like I'm okay. I'm good. You know, because uh, yeah, I would be very happy. I can't tell you how many times in improv I have put on. Uh, Improvised lipstick and ask, would you fuck me? <laughs> okay, so back to your, your work on the last driving. 
please, please let me know if you do look into that. I will talk to my friend. We'll get you a discount. Go tuck. That's his whole thing. Uh, bring your, get your tuck on. Uh, he said that many times on TV to promote it. But... That's a great marketing ploy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, back to the Joe Bob story. So my buddy was promoting uh, the Buffalo Bill House at Mahoney. He ran into um, the producer of Joe Bob, who I knew from Trauma, and then he hired him the production design. And my buddy was like, "I gotta hire you. You're my horror guy. You know how to build all this crap." And our job was building sets. Basically, any piece of art you see on that show, whether set-wise, prop, or graphic, is one of three people doing it. And then we have a lot of PAs now that are really good that uh, they they bust their asses for us. But every single graphic on that show is drawn by me at like 2 or 3 in the morning, probably a couple of days before we shoot it, because I finally get the script. And I'm like, fuck, he needs this. And then I have to like... <laughs> draw something crazy i've never drawn before but i do it because i love the show uh it's very stressful and it is fun to work on but it is high stress we as most productions go we don't have a ton of time and a ton of money and uh uh i i pretend i'm a robot sometimes and we'll work 18 hours straight but i know i shouldn't do that all the time and i don't like doing that to people so uh yeah it's a it's a tough show but i love it and it's a, I love working with everybody on it. Some really good people. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I got back on the show is through that. And now it's been a couple of seasons and I don't even know how long I've been there, but uh, it's like, I know every part of the show. Well, when you're working that long, time seems to blur. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you're like, what happened? What month is this? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Right. Where, where's crafty? Where's the honey wagon? Those are the important questions. Right. Yeah, ours for that is like, uh, you guys, you have more Welch's great or fruit snacks, right? Because that's all I'm gonna eat today, or you know, which isn't you know, I shouldn't. Nobody should should live off just Welch's grape snacks. No, <laughs> no, you should not. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, with this most recent season, the mm -hmm. first episode had a completely different set. It was a late oh, yeah. night talk show. <laughs> I was surprised that it, it didn't last uh, very long, but I liked that that change of things. And what I liked most about it, not only did it have, were they showing zombie, which has one of the greatest oh, yeah. scenes in cinematic history of a zombie fighting a shark. Um, you had one of the most entertaining people on for what I would say is not long enough. You had Dan Housen on the show. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, he was great. Um... What's awesome is I do have that wrestling background. And what's even weirder is that um, when before I did any of this, my literal start and in getting in the film industry started in Philadelphia. And one of my close friends at the time was a man named Bryce Remsburg, who's now a yes. ref for AEW. And honestly, I wouldn't have started comedy or any of this journey without him and another guy, Paul Trigiani. And so it's crazy because... I knew Bryce for like years before I knew he was an indie wrestler. And then when I got hired at WWE, he was like, yeah, tell Claudio, you, you're friends of mine. And I was like, okay. And like, literally it like opened up the boys to me. Cause they're like, oh, you know, Bryce. Okay. We can like trust you a bit. Cause you know, they don't trust writers. I get it. Right. <laughs> but who the fuck did you ever beat? Oh, hey, no. well, I, oh, Bryce says you're okay. Okay, good. Oh, you've worked there, so you've no, heard that before. No, that's, I, uh, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. But you know, yeah, that's the yeah. Michael Hayes. Well, who the fuck you ever beat? You know, and then I've, like kinda... I've heard Chris Jericho say that. Uh, oh, okay. When yeah. when Eddie Guerrero was angry about anyone, <laughs> yeah, was who the fuck did they ever beat? That sounds about right. That's the thing you hear when you pitch like a storyline, and then it's like just from the back jbl yelling at you oh are you really gonna pitch that or whatever you know uh i, I have tons of those headaches of stories of just like why am i trying to pitch when these guys are just gonna yell at me and i don't know they never really beat anybody either so <laughs> <laughs> well most of them um <laughs> well, it, true. It, yeah. well, well since, since we're in this world um where's your love of wrestling begin i'm guessing probably around the same time Easily the same time. Yeah. Easily. I mean, grew up in the like, you know, early 80s, uh, or sorry, not early 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. Got the Hulkamania running wild. I was a Roddy Piper guy. Of course. Um, yeah. Because yeah. cause Hulk Hogan's a racist and Roddy Piper was a good person. Yeah. Also, they a live crazy like, person. 
Oh, yeah. good person. I love, I mean, they lives like one of my favorite movies. So it's like, here's like that movie to me is like, it's all my things in my life come together. It's John Carpenter who I love. And then it's Roddy Piper and this like awesome, like alien sci-fi movie. It's worlds colliding. Yeah. And, and, and Keith David smooth as a motherfucker. Oh yeah, man. He's, he's like still one of my favorite actors. So put him in anything. I mean, the thing that last scene with him and Kurt, it's like, that's, it's gold but uh yeah i'd say my love of wrestling started back then um i was pretty like uh physical or like i just i was i don't know i ran around a lot and i wanted to be a wrestler when i was a kid but also i thought like oh i'll never be big enough to be like those guys uh cut to like 20 some years later and i'm taller than john cena and i'm like fuck man like <laughs> i've got to put on the weight but <laughs> i can't do that <laughs> And that was the thing, I wasn't allowed, there's a bunch of backstage shots I'm in. I wasn't allowed to stand up next to some of them because I was taller than a lot of them. So, I, I I believe that. Because yeah. um, <laughs> perception is everything. Yeah. I heard uh, Jake Roberts tell on his podcast that he got booked in Japan because he was in a photo, a press photo with Andre, and he stepped towards the camera as the photo was being taken. <laughs> so he looked taller than Andre. Yep. And when he arrived in Japan, the promotion was not happy with what they found even <laughs> as tall as jake was that's funny that's crazy he's still a tall guy i think he's like six six or yeah something he's not short right, right next to andre the giant who isn't right, um, right so i don't know all i know about writers and wrestling is what i read on the internet which i take with a grain of salt uh, because it's the internet <laughs> and what I've heard people talk about on their podcasts. It's my understanding that around the time SmackDown was premiering, in order to compete with friends, Vince just hired a bunch of TV writers instead of letting like the old cigar-chomping wrestlers come up with the storylines. Um, and... I don't know if that's led to what I perceive to be a decline in quality with WWE, uh, like along with other things like gearing it more towards kids. And I'm an old now, um, <laughs> along with their politics and uh, which I, I don't care for. Um, <laughs> I know all about those. I was there when Trump got elected. It was uh, quite a weird <laughs> time. Uh, yeah <laughs> gross <laughs> i just remember michael hayes going we fucking won or whatever and we're all just like what what, what do you mean we kimasabi exactly it was this weird thing it was one of the head writers i forget where they were i wasn't on the road yet uh that was like the month i went on the road was the month trump got elected but um i just remember like one of the lead writers like telling us that like michael hayes was just in the airport screaming at the top of his, his lungs we won we fucking won tom or whatever he was yelling um anyway yeah there is that part which was that was very jarring um th that that whole election cycle the joke <laughs> i kept making is no one that has appeared at a wrestlemania should ever be permitted to be president right. and that includes people i like <laughs> yeah and that, that was the thing like for me that time period and being where I was writing how I was writing and seeing that happen. I was like, this is the same shit. Like speech writers, they're just writing wrestling promos. You go it for is. the cheers, you go for the booze. It's the same shit. And like now, like I'm kind of not completely jaded from politics, but it is a thing where it's like that curtain is so blown open where I, and plus being in TV forever, you're just kind of like, all right, you see how people use this shit. And like, I don't know. It's a thing now where I'm just like, all right, I see how the writing works. I see how you frame everything. You know, it's like anything. So I get, I get like, just that time period really changed my perspective on things where it's like, all right. Con conservative politics is heel wrestling at its worst. Oh, yeah. It's I'm going to lie and cheat and anything. And as soon as I get called out on it, it's the bald heel complaining to the rest, to the referee about a hair pull. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's a good analogy for it because it is that. It's complaining to the ref. Why? Yeah. Dude. 
but yeah, that was a weird time. <laughs> back, back to more fun things like Danny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm guessing that was filmed before he got injured. Sorry, which part? Or... What Dan Housen's appearance on the last? Oh yes, yes, I'm yes. Okay, it was filmed before he suffered an injury at a paper. Yeah, movie. I'm trying to remember when that was. It was definitely before that because it filmed it a while ago. Um, yeah, uh, it was before he was injured. I remember he came in and it was the first time I'd ever seen him without makeup, and I just like introduced myself, which him, I don't want to see, but okay. Right, it was just weird, and he just introduced he introduced himself to me just as his his real name you know mm -hmm. and i was like oh yeah yeah i mean i've been in that world so i get it and like my thing was always calling them by their gimmick names anyway because especially if you're out in public or something but uh he was really cool and then he he was he asked me he's like can i do you think they'll get mad if i do the conan bit and i was like you know like the thing he did at the beginning mm -hmm. i was like no you're fine just do i told him because they they're pretty hands off and i know joe bob scripted it so he had his lines but joe bob scripts it in a way where they can kind of say what comes off their chest naturally and uh yeah he was totally cool in and out he was nervous i definitely remember that because he was sitting in the waiting room and i was like you're gonna be fine man don't worry and then he's like you know bobcat goldthwaite's there fabio frizzy's band was there which is awesome they mm -hmm. were so cool they were there the whole week and like i was like working and sweating and one of the guitar players he didn't he didn't speak English at all. And I know a little Italian, but not enough to conversate. But he would come up to me like every five minutes. He'd be like, you want to go smoke? I'm like, no, man, I got to work. I, I can't take a smoke break every five minutes. But that that dude fucking smoked so much. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was the weird uh, late night driving. And the thing I got to call out as a crew guy who built that set, I made by hand fake cement like walls. You never really see it in any of the shots on the show, but just above like the windows and the fake brick, handmade cement. It was just mixing a uh, spackle and white and black paint to get like a perfect texture. And I worked so hard on it and I knew I was like, you're never going to see this. But it was just the thing we get it, me and the director get so specific. It's like, we got to do this thing. And then we never see it. And I'm like, fuck, why do I waste like a whole day doing that? That happens. Frequently. Um, but speaking of uh, Italians, it brings to mind, because uh, I want to make fun of Vince McMahon. Oh, when yeah. he came back to the E after his uh, sabbatical from controversy, and he had this weird pencil-thin mustache and weird <laughs> dye job, it seemed very arrested development in a way where it's like, no, that wasn't me. I'm Vincenzo McMahon. He Right, right, Vincente or whatever. I forget. One of the writers texted me about it because we were like joking about it. And he said like, oh, yeah, there's like Vincente McMahon is backstage. And like, because at the time when that all the Internet gossip was talking about Vince being back, like I was like, hey, like, is he really back? And then they were like, yeah, he has a weird mustache now. So I was like getting the inside scoop because it's just that when you work in that environment, and like Road Dog, with who was my boss, put it best where he's like, "You're in the shit with each other." And like Road Dog, I grew up loving Road Dog, so when he became my boss, that was like awesome. And then he used to like, I would always make jokes and like during the SmackDown meetings, and then he would say them in front of Vince, and I'm like, "Dude, you're fucking jacking my jokes." But he was like, "I mean, whatever. Like, if I can, I'll say I wrote for Road Dog in those meetings." Well, but. just I, I I gotta say how much I love the sentences. I've never heard. So the <laughs> sentence "Road Dog" was my boss. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. You've made my Sunday. Dude, I mean, that's the thing. I I'm uh I'm gonna be forty in a few months, and I'm like, I'm trying to be better at. I, see, this is the thing. I am like Vincent Mann, where I don't stop and smell the roses, and that was his thing. He never wanted to stop and celebrate anything. He was always miserable when you put him on camera. We're all twenty five. He didn't want to be on, and it was like, dude. What's the one thing people want to see for out of 25 years of Raw? They want to see you take a fucking stunner. But he refused. And it had you had to push him. And then finally it happened and it got ratings. And you know, it's it was crazy. But I do feel like now I'm trying to look back on my experiences and have the gratitude to be, you know, I feel lucky and fortunate, like to be able to say Road Dog was my boss. Like a guy I grew up watching who entertained me, who has this like extended family of wrestling 
and that's the thing i love wrestling now like mm-hmm. it's, it's like part of me part of me wants to be back in it but it's also a grind to travel 300 some days a year so i i i can imagine maybe aew is higher um <laughs> i've been yeah, kicking Paul around Price. this this theory of mine because uh, with, with the rise of aew and uh their politics their inclusivity uh it's got my my girlfriend back into wrestling and i like that after seeing a couple shows at the ubs arena which i love because it's seven minutes from the house that's awesome Um, she's she's gotten deep in her way of like reading reddits and and (laughs) learning about things and for all the the negatives uh, about Vince McMahon. And I'm sure that there are many people that love him and consider them their personal hero as well. Uh, I have a theory. And as with all of my theories, they're just hunches. There's really no proof behind it all. <laughs> but I think that if he didn't get into wrestling to spite his dad and maybe had become a more successful promoter at anything else, he might be happy. <laughs> right. I, it is weird because I think you're right. Um, I know he had the early uh, Evil Knievel type stuff he tried to do. And I like think concert was, promotions and stuff like that. Right. Well, I mean, there's XFL, which I just started watching the doc on that because I don't really know much about that. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's a weird thing. And I remember, oh, I still remember when we, I was at WWE when he brought it back and they made us stop what we were doing. Like, we, you know, we're writing 10 hours of live TV a week. And it's like, no, stop. Vince is going to make a very important announcement. So everybody in the offices at Titan Tower had to go watch Vince's announcement. And it was him announcing the XFL. And we're all like, really? Like, on top of everything we're doing here? But he's a madman. So. <laughs> Speaking of madman, um, I posted something recently and you commented, uh, you worked with Austin Aries a lot. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, so I was uh, fortunate enough to be the guy who kicked off 205 Live. And uh, I basically, me and two other guys spent like a day in a room coming up with every gimmick for every uh, very talented cruiserweight under 205 pounds. And I got very close with all of them to a point where I still remember like going to uh, Ari Davari's parents' pizza shop in Minnesota. And it was like, this like uh 12 apostles dinner but it was all the 205 live guys and then me and my buddy robert evans shout out to a, an underground wrestling legend robert evans um was the two of us as the writers hanging out with neville and aries and all the other guys and um it was a fun time but aries was a handful and i was his writer and it was very hard uh that system's really hard um, if you for a guy like Aries who was known for what he was known for and both good and bad, but also like he had talent, but in Vince's eyes, he was not a big guy. And that's Vince is all about the spectacle and what you see. If he puts you on a poster and it's I always think about this, he would always talk about the poster. So if it was Brock Lesnar and Austin Aries on a poster, Brock's six, whatever, six, four. 300 pounds austin's like five nine however much however much you weigh 200 pounds you're gonna look at that and go that guy's gonna rip that little guy apart now our argument was well that's what wrestling's good for is we can tell a story we can tell the david and goliath story we can make it fun but vince goes no people aren't going to take it as reality so we can't have that anyway this all (laughs) trying to let austin understand this and i think he knows he's been in the business long enough mm-hmm. there's on that on top of him writing so me and him would walk around the arenas we'd come up with his promos i'd go pitch him to vince vince would hate it i have to go back to austin we'd punch it up i go back to vince vince would still hate it uh one of my favorite austin aries promos i had to do to vince was uh in laredo texas it was the night after vince threatened to hit me in the head with a sledgehammer at the royal rumble but uh i walked into his office I say, here's wait, the problem. wait. Vince threatened to hit you with a sledgehammer. Yeah, I I wrote all the pay per views, and um, so they're scripted out. They're timed. Everything's rigidly timed. Yes. I hated the job because it was just like on top of writing the other stuff, which I'd rather put more time into. It was just like writing 
shit for Booker T to look at and have an idea of what to say. And I love Booker. He's awesome. I'm just throwing it out there because I wrote for him all the time, too. But uh, uh, Vince was skimming through the pay-per-view. We're in San Antonio in the Alamo Dome. We're about to do the Royal Rumble, which is crazy. You know, as a kid, that's the one that that's the most fun one to be at. Because you get to see everybody. Yeah, you know the entrances, or sometimes they switch it around on you. So it's like, okay, I know Goldberg's coming out here, so I want to hear that crowd pop because the crowd pops so much fun. Hmm. Um, knowing when the Undertaker is going to come out, that was I, I would sneak into the arena and just be like, all right, because you, you could feel it, it's great. Um, anyway, Vince didn't like a line I wrote, one line out of like a twenty-some page script. And so he starts, going, who wrote this? He's looking around. It's it's all the writers, all the producers. And when I say producers, it's like old wrestlers like IRS, Finley, <laughs> Devon Dudley. Devon, I love. He was awesome. Yeah, Devon's um, great. For any of our listeners that don't listen to, uh, uh, who, who aren't familiar with a lot of wrestling, back in the late 80s, early 90s, most wrestlers also had a profession along with it. <laughs> so... A very talented wrestler named Mike Rotundo uh, became Erwin R. Scheister, a wrestling taxman employee for the Internal Revenue Service. Please go on. Yeah, so he nailed it there. Uh, there was him. There's Duke the Dumpster Drossy. Everybody had a, a job. <laughs> Even Doink the Clown was a working circus clown who went crazy. My walking nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Those types of guys are there. And just to say, uh, for any wrestling fans listening, when I, at these meetings, I always sat between Devon Dudley and JBL. So always between those two. Couldn't be two drastically different guys. Um, I'll leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I've, I believe the internet rumors about John Bradshaw Layfield. Yeah. Uh, having met Devon Dudley way back uh, in the uh, early pre-ECW days. Oh, well, awesome. Gentlemen, a gentleman. Yeah, testify to that. I, 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 I hope he's doing well. I know he's had some health problems. Yeah, I hope uh, he is too. Great guy. Raising a, a cup of water, to brother Devon. Yeah, raising a seltzer to Devon. Hmm. But um, yeah, Vince. So Vince, uh, he was mad at the one line. He looked around the room. He said, "Who wrote this?" I raised my hand. I was maybe like two months on the road at the time, and so I was like you know, a new face to him, even though he forgot your name, even if you were there for like 10 years. But uh, um, so he like kind of read me out in front of everybody. And he said, if you're going to write this again, if you write something like this again, I'll hit you in the head with a sledgehammer. And then the way things work there is he says stuff like that. And then you get 10 emails from different departments or like writing heads. And they're like, hey, if you anybody writes this in a script again, you're fired, you know, stuff like that. So that happens. I, you know, I apologize. I try to correct it. I go out to run the pre-show and that line is literally on the marquee around the, the Alamo dome. And that's saying, I don't have any say over that writing. Writers have nothing to do with that. So I was like, all right, like somebody else was writing this. No problem there. Like after that, I was forgotten. But, but uh, hours later, the Royal Rumble happens. Then we have a drive to Laredo that night from San Antonio, which I forget how long that was. But we're on the border. I could see Mexico out the back window of my uh, hotel room. And we're probably checking in at like three in the morning. I'm walking to my room. Vince is walking down the hall in sweatpants. And I'm like, shit, like, is he going to remember that he like wanted to kill me earlier? And so I just, right, exactly. He doesn't. I just go, hey, have a good night, sir. And he goes, good night. Good night. It's time to train. There's no good night. And he basically tried to get me to go to the gym with him which I didn't do in retrospect. I should have, because to say, Hey, I, I lifted with Vincent Mann in Texas at three in the morning would be a, a fun thing to have down in my life. Even though look at me, I don't lift. I have no, I can't do it. <laughs> oh. So yeah, sorry, I'm jumping around, but it is, there's a lot. No, it's, it, it's okay. I assume just hearing these stories, it, it, it confirms what I had already believed that <laughs> the reality of the corporate structure of world wrestling entertainment is crazier than any of the fiction. Uh, yeah. My, my, my total sympathy for their human resources department. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the chairman threatened to hit me with a sledgehammer. Yeah. I laughed at all. That was the thing. I probably had my life threatened a few times there and I laughed it off. Cause it was like so absurd, 
there was one time though like improv instincts kicked in where you know you're running this is an nxt show we're running around atlanta and i remember uh there was a young wrestler who he would i we i'd talk to him about his matches and his promos or whatever and i remember i was so busy i was doing something for alistair black at the time and we're running around and this younger wrestler came up and he's like hey did you see my match and i i kind of like checked in on it on the monitor but wasn't really paying attention and i was like yeah man great match and he says great match and he got really pissed off at me and it's because it was in my head i was like hey great show you're like that type mm-hmm. of thing trying to be supportive he got so pissed off at me because he botched something and he was like don't ever fucking say that to me and it like scared me away from like say like saying hey great show good match because it was like oh like pay attention this is his livelihood you know, and he kind of got in my face about it, and it was a little weird. And I was taller than him, so I wasn't scared. But uh, he probably beat me up. So. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. But so, I was like, I, those types of things I just laughed off because I was like, this is ridiculous. And like, that's when you were there on the road long enough, and you're barely sleeping, you're flying all over the place. You kind of have to laugh at it all. And like that writer's bus was that. Like after the shows, you get on the bus, you go to the next city, or you get in the car. It's like you need to vent, you know. <laughs> Um, I can imagine. I yeah. can only imagine. Yeah. Now, with uh, Darcy the Male Girl, a, <laughs> a, a big fan of wrestling, uh, and bringing okay. Joe Bob uh, into the fold, I know this is not your department, <laughs> but if you could choose two wrestlers to have as guests on the last drive-in, who would you pick? Huh. I mean, they've already had Jericho, even though I love Jericho. I'm his I'm his limo driver, by the way. Uh, what part? part what? God, I, there's an episode. It's my first day on the road. Um, Jericho is running from the arena. We're in Charlotte. He's running away from Seth Rollins, and he runs out to a stretch limo and he yells for the driver. And I show up, and he's yelling at me, scolding me. And then when I open the door, I knock the list out of his hand. She so called me stupid idiot. And then he goes to pick it. He bends down to pick up the list. And then when he comes back up, I'm replaced with Seth Rollins. And then Seth Rollins pedigreed him on top of a car or something. There you go. Yeah. But so there, there was that. I was, I, I remember rehearsing it and I kept saying lines and Triple H was like, you don't need to talk. And I'm like, fuck, dude, come on. Like I'm with Jericho on live TV. Like, let me say something. But that's how it is there. You know, I get it. I'm no, I'm nobody. I'm like, uh, I was the limo driver. I think I just took Sami Zayn's hat. Wore a suit, put the hat on. You, you, you get a little, get a little extra bump for being on camera. No, oh, Dude, I sure? was on camera so much, and like, no, no, you get straight salary. You don't get any money for if one of your lines gets on a TV or on a shirt. That's it. I mean, that's that was my lesson in learning that I signed away all my creative property. Oh boy. Okay. So yeah, back to the question. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No problem. Okay. So I love um, the tangents. Yeah, no, it's, this is me. Like, this is lack of sleep in my brain and fumes. But uh, if I could have two people on there, I mean, I'm trying to think who would really compliment the show. There's always, like, there's, like, the Bray Wyatts, you know, like, that type. I mean, Undertaker would be such a grab, but that dude, his price, I'm sure it's too much to make that appearance. I don't know. That's a hard, that's a hard, uh, it's a hard thing to pick. Sorry, I'm thinking about it too. Like, no, that's okay. That's <laughs> all right. All right. In that case, perhaps an easier question. Again, not your department, but if you got to pick a double feature for the last drive-in, what two okay. movies would you choose? Ah. I mean, I'm a huge Carpenter fan, and I actually I know Joe Bob did They Live uh, on Monster Vision back in the day, but I've I'd want to see some that. of his clips with Roddy Piper. Yes. Yeah, like I. That's, I mean, that or oh, I gotta look at my movie collection. <laughs> That's I mean, a helpful cheat to have. I know, like all right. I still collect DVDs. You gotta yes. have. You gotta have it, man. Like you should not be inconvenienced by streaming if you right. want to watch, right? A particular title, a movie that you love, you should be able to grab off of the shelf and put it in, even if your internet is down. A hundred percent. That's to me. It's like I love these movies. I always want to have somewhere i i always want to have them so i can watch them when i want to not like have to download a new streaming service to pay for it to find it um i would say movie wise well actually you know what the thing i don't think i've ever seen him do the thing if he has 
that's another one of like my favorites, especially when it comes to special effects. Like I would love to see that. And then if I had to pair it with something else, <laughs> I'm gonna have to call the director and be like, "Can we do the thing?" And yeah, but uh, huh. That's a tough question. I never really thought about it. Like, what would be my my perfect match or my perfect? Since pairing? going to drive-ins, I've watched movies and I and I've thought to myself, "Oh, this would go well with this other movie." Um, I spoke with uh, B.J. McDonald, who did the Foo Fighters movie, Studio Six Six Six, and I'm okay. like, that and Deathgasm would go <laughs> perfect together. Perfect. That's the thing. It's like finding that perfect thing that complements. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes I I feel like with Joe Bob where we get like the serious movie and then there's the goofball movie or the you know the more slocky movie like I uh this season we did Possession mm-hmm. and that one that's another one that was like impossible to find on streaming or anywhere I've had it on DVD and I was like all right good I have this and now it's on stream I'm like fuck I need to pay fifty dollars for it but uh <laughs> um that you know I like that juxtaposition because you get something that if you're a horror fan that wants something that's taken more serious or has a serious tone, you go for the first movie. And then the second one might be schlocky. You can tune out or love it. Like my dad loves rubber. I'm sure you've seen rubber. He brings it up all the time. He loves that movie. I mean, he's a, he loves car movies. So it's like dual. Uh, oh, what's I can't, what's the Stephen King one uh, with Emilio? Not tra- uh, Maximum Overdrive. There, yeah, Maximum Overdrive. Any of those movies he loves. So, of course, he loves rubber. You know? Everybody's got their thing. Right. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing. All right. So, as we bring this in for a landing, uh, yeah. where can the people find you if they want to find you? Um, so, I do have a website. It's matchaweird.com. Keep it simple. Um, I have some of my work up there. I drastically need to add the things uh, I've been doing. Um, what's hard is I make the effects or I build the props and then the stuff doesn't air for like months or a year or two years at a time. So check me out at matchaweird.com or I'm on Instagram too uh, as matchaweird. Uh, and I hope to be putting more stuff out, whether it be scary things and hopefully get like a short film or a movie sometime soon or in the next couple of years. But that's a work in progress. Well, I'm available for set dressing. I'll set up cast chairs. Oh, yeah, uh, I don't have my card yet with Local 52, but, you know, I, I get work through the hall when there's work happening. <laughs> no, man, we'll pull you in. Hey, you're, you, It was actually great to meet you because we've never actually talked in person to person. So I'm happy to meet you. And I, when I saw you're doing the improv show you're doing at the Magnet, I'm like, oh, yeah, good. Somebody's doing like a spooky show. Good. It needs to happen. Man. Well, you know, you take the things that you love and you mix them together. So when uh, I thought to myself, like, I want to put on a show, somebody else was doing a comic book themed show. So I'm like, I, I'm, I'm sure there are other horror themed improv shows, but there wasn't one at the time that I came up with spooky doings. Yeah, no, that's the thing, man. And you're, you're 100% right. And I, I do think like, um, to put out a serious notion and all this chaos of like fun artistic shit i feel like uh my like essence and reason for being on this planet is to um you know bring the joy that i find in this fun creative stuff and give it to the youth indoctrinate them now you know no just uh you know there's people like us that we found the corners we found and we love it and we like wear it on our chest and it's our lives and i think it's important to like give that show that show the youth there is a path to this shit let a little kid in central pa know you can make movies and make weird art you know that's what i live for i think <laughs> well fucking said man thanks man you can check out Spooky Doings on Instagram, uh, Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. We got a show July 16th. That's a Sunday, 2.30 start in Brooklyn at Young Ethel's. It's a free show. All you got to do is buy one drink and we will have true st- scary stories. We're going to improvise off of that. There's stand-up comedy. All of the details will be coming up. And you can find that on Facebook at Spooky Doings Improv. I'm at Rick Guzman 718 on Twitter. Um, it's all horror and AEW stuff on there, let's be honest. And yeah, thank you for being a part of the show, Matt. It's been a wonderful conversation. Hey, if for you me. are free and ever want to mix it up on stage with us, uh, and we have a show that works in your schedule, 
come have fun with us and we can murder each other. Please. I, I miss it. So I'd love to be murdered on stage by you. All right, cool. So, so you heard it here first. It's going to happen someday. In the meantime and in between time, everybody stay good, stay healthy, and stay spooky. Bye.